We start a journey of prayer talking about how prayer is a gutsy conversation you have with God. And I talked to you that first week about the six layers of prayer. Layer six was relentless prayer. And I asked you this question. What's your relentless prayer today? What is your relentless prayer today? Week two was called the problem of pain. And I read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Last week, we talked about hearing God. And I asked, how do you hear from God? I quoted John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Benjamin Franklin wrote in May of 1757, work as if you were to live 100 years. Pray as if you were to die tomorrow. So on this final week of journey of prayer, I'd like to talk to you about what does God want? How do we know that? Life comes at us in parables. It just does. I, I see it all the time. Almost every day, I, I'm sort of caught up in a parable. And so yesterday, I found myself once again ensnared in a parable of life. I was doing a wedding in Norfolk down at the Hermitage. I love to do weddings at the Hermitage. And there was this young couple, Corey and Jessica Ryan. And they're in love. And you could see the, the love just written on their faces. What a joyous time. And, and I stood there under this majestic tree and listened to them say their own vows that they wrote to each other. And, and each set of vows took at least two or three minutes as they, as they read through these beautiful words of commitment, of, of wanting to, to live day after day after day with each other and all that God was going to bring to them in the adventure of their lives. And, and I remember seeing, seeing Jessica you know, and, and a tear coming down her face. And then at the, at the reception, which was outside under this beautiful tent, and, and, and the sun came out, and it was just glorious. There was no rain. It was just wonderful. And the father made all these great statements about his wonderful daughter and about his new son-in-law. And, and so there were so many words. I tried to bring the biblical touch to the wedding through reading scripture and making comments about what it's like to be called into Christian marriage, to be a Christian husband, to be a Christian wife. And so you have all these, these wonderful words and, and commitments and vision. And then there was the donut table. Now the donut table was like... <laughs> Ah, oh, it was something that I had never seen before at a wedding. And, and there's, there's, you know, these are the Boston cream donuts because half the family is from New England. Uh, and, and, oh, those are, the, up, up front, those are called French toast donuts. There's Reese's donuts. And in the middle there on the right is the raspberry chocolate donut, which is the one that I took with me. I sort of bootlegged it out when I left. 
And, and it, was, it was just wonderful. You got apple pie donuts. You got chocolate sprinkle donuts. You got lemon drop donuts with special cream. You got red velvet cake donuts. It was just unbelievable. And, and that sort of sets up the parable. You have all these, all these wonderful words about commitment and love and the future. And then you have the distraction of the donuts. And it's kind of like this is how life is. You want to you live life and you want to do the right things. And then there's like donuts and other things. Donuts, donuts are just a symbol of all the things that distract us in life from doing the things that we're supposed to do. Now, I kept thinking about the donuts. And my prayer was that I would be seated near the donuts. And when, lo and behold, when I realized that that's where my table was, I had a great shot. I was like, I could just reach out and grab a donut. But they knew that I was there, so they posted a guard. <laughs> they posted a guard. This guy, he's serious. I mean, he's going to take you down if you try to go for the donuts. And so I had to be really sneaky when I got mine. And I sort of said, okay, see everybody, bye. Uh, but this is a parable of life. The wonder, the glory, the words, the commitment, the future, the blessings. And then there's always distractions. And you want, you want to know what God wants, but then you kind of get, get off track sometimes. Or you get waylaid. Or you go off in, in left field on something that, that doesn't turn out to be the right thing. Or you go in the direction that is opposite direction maybe that God wants you to go. And so what does God want? I'd like to be clear about that today with giving you five things that I really believe God wants, things that he put on my heart to bring to you. This by no means is an exhaustive list of what he wants, but these things are so important because if we really want to know what he wants, he wants us to know what he wants. What does God want? Let's go first to Deuteronomy Chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? So that's the question. What does God want? What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. There you have two verses a paragraph, and that tells you what God wants. And here's the reason. Verse 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So it's reminding you that you're part of this grand plan that God has. He is the owner of all things, and he invites you in. He invites you to participate with him in, in, in working for his kingdom, in living for his kingdom. He's the owner. He gets to make the big decisions, but we get to be partners with him in everything that he wants to do in and through the church. He is the owner. We are participants. And then it says this in verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. He says, remember, remember, remember what it was like. Remember what it, what it felt like. You yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performs for you those great and awesome 
wonders you saw with your own eyes. You saw it all. Remember when we came out of Egypt? You saw all the, the wonders, the miracles, the things that God was doing. Don't ever forget that. This is what God wants. And then Deuteronomy, same couple verses from the message. So now, Israel, what do you think God expects from you? Just this. Live in his presence in holy reverence. Follow the road he sets out for you. Love him. Serve God, your God, with everything you have in you. Obey the commands, commandments and regulations of God that I'm commanding you today. Live a good life. Look around you. Everything you see is God's. The heavens above and beyond the earth and everything on it. Here's the first thing that God wants. And it's very, very clear. God wants us to have a right understanding of who he is. Because when we have a right understanding of who he is, it puts us in a right relationship with him. It, it gives the proper boundaries. It gives the, the proper parameters for the relationship. When we know who he is and what his kingdom is all about, we know who we are and what we're supposed to do. But everywhere I go, I, I get lots of opinions about God. I hear people say, well, this is what I think about God. This is what I think about religion. This is what I think about the church. I like the church. I don't like the church. Uh, I think the church should be like this. I think the church should be like that. Or I think God should do his, his work this way. Or I think God should be more like this. I, I think that, that I should have a say in what I do. Or I, and, and once you know who God really is, you realize that you are a servant of the king. You are a servant of the God of the universe. Your understanding of his right relationship and his right position and who he is sets the foundation of how you understand yourself and what you are to do in and through that relationship. So we have to start with that baseline. First of all, right from the beginning, God wants us to have a right understanding of who he is. Not just opinions, because opinions abound, but they don't work at the end of the day. What does God want? Isaiah chapter 1 um, tells us again what he wants. I'm going to read this again going from the message. When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that. Now, is he talking about, is God talking through Isaiah to say, you're too busy, you're, you're running here and there, you have all these things and checklist things? He actually isn't. Running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. Is, is prayer not important? Sure, it's important. I'm doing a whole series about prayer. And you're going to see what God's trying to do here in just a second. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. What God is saying is if all you're doing is 
covering the basis for a show of religion or a show of what it looks like for your faith, you've missed the whole point. If all you're doing is, is, is going through the motions of Christian activities to make yourself feel better, to pat yourself on the back, to make you feel like, well, you're connected and other people and other people like you and you, you like other people, you have missed the whole point of why God allows that in the first place. Sure, he wants prayer. Sure, we have to get together. But when that becomes the end and the be-all of why we exist, we've missed it. As a matter of fact, churches where that becomes the end and the be-all of, of why we exist, those churches they're already dead and they are in a process of decline and dying. So what does God want? Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. I had to make a phone call yesterday morning. There's a homeless person got in touch with me and they were sort of stuck in a situation. I made a phone call. Uh, can you get this person unstuck? Yes, I can get this person unstuck. Good. I get a message later. We're done. It's one of the best things that happened this week in our ministry that we remembered one homeless person and got them unstuck and moving again. Another one of the best things we did this week was Wednesday morning when we served breakfast to teachers at Jaycox Elementary School in Norfolk. I think God looks down and just says, way to go, church, way to make that happen. The people that gave the food, the people that went and served, you remembered people who needed encouragement. You remembered people who were doing a good job. You went to a place where there are great needs. You showed up with my love and my grace. And what God is saying is don't just be on the surface what looks like a Christian community, making yourselves feel better, doing all these great things, checking off your boxes, having all your notebooks. Don't just do that and think that's it because that's not it. What is so important is to go out and invest your life in making a difference in other people's lives. It's stretching. It's going beyond what you think you have to do and, and stretching far beyond what you can even give of time and energy and dollars to change the world and to change somebody's life. We've been getting emails from Togo, West Africa. We are ready to do the second stage of the tower. That's, God just, I think it gets him out of his seat. And he goes, you remembered. You remembered people who are needy. You remembered people who are thirsty. You remembered people who are, are marginalized. You didn't forget them. You didn't just live for yourself. That's what God wants. God wants a right understanding of why we exist. And it's not just for ourselves. He wants a right understanding of who he is. He wants a right understanding of why we truly exist. What does God want? Matthew chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus is saying, you have something, you have a breakdown. Something, something happened. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. You feel hurt. Maybe they feel, feel hurt too. Go and have a conversation about that. Say, this is, this is what I think happened. Is this what you think happened? It's not just a one-sided thing. 
the two of you are having a conversation and if they listen and they understand that Jesus is in the middle of that conversation with the two of you, the two of them, then it's, it's a win-win. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they go, no, come on, get out. It's not, I don't even believe what you're saying. There's no way. You're the one that's got the problem. So then you get somebody who's a friend. Maybe you're all friends together. And you say, can we sit down together and have this conversation? And so there's more input. And if that works, if that works, then you're fine. But if they still refuse to listen, if there's a refusal, it says tell it to the church. And I have to remember that in those days, churches met in homes. And so those are small groups of people. So maybe it's like dealing with a small group. Or maybe it's just you know, three or four people. Or it could also mean the, the, leaders, the leaders of the church. So you go and you establish it with the leaders of the church or a small group. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It says after you, you went the first mile, after you went the second mile, and after you tried really, really hard to bring peace into relationship, then and only then can you set a boundary of, I guess for right now, this isn't working. I guess for right now, there isn't the possibility of relationship. But even with that, even with that happening in the same chapter, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And seven times was like way beyond what anybody thought you had to do. It was the extra mile, the extra mile, the extra mile, the extra mile, and then another one more last extra mile. It was like way beyond anything that they thought they had to do. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In some places in the gospel, it says seven times 70. It's an enormous amount of times. What was Jesus saying? You can never stop forgiving. So here's what God wants. You want to know what God wants? God wants conflict resolution and forgiveness in community. He wants it. He says it's so important. Remember back in the Old Testament, there's a story where everybody was lined up to get to Moses. Why? To settle disputes. And so it was wearing them down. It was going to wear them out. And his father-in-law went to him and said, Moses, you can't do this. People are going to wear you out. People have had disputes ever since the beginning of time, ever since human relationship took a nosedive in, in Genesis and sin came into our our relationships. And you want to know where you see that again today? Turn on the news. You see it again over and over and over. Look at the front page of the newspaper. It's, it's inevitable that we're like a second away from a conflict happening. But in what God wants, in what God wants, he says, work at this. Go. Forgive. Get this done. Because it's so important that in what we call the church, in what we call the community of faith, believers who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you have communion and community. God wants conflict resolution and forgiveness in community. And I don't know anybody who doesn't need to hear that and try to live that out better. I don't know anybody who doesn't need that, including me. Let me take it a step further. Luke Chapter 6, what does God want? Listen to the words of Jesus. 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then these words that drive deep into our hearts. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck and that house but could not the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is what God wants. God wants a completely different way of viewing relationships and economics. Completely different way that the world does it. A, a, a God vertical way of understanding relationships and economics, not a worldly horizontal way. You know what the worldly horizontal way is? Where's the donut table? What's in it for me? How am I going to get mine? I'm not so sure I care about you getting yours. Back away from the donut table. Nobody gets hurt. It's all mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. See, we're, we're caught between this promise and these blessings. And then, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? God wants a completely different way of viewing relationships and economics. And we have to ask some questions about that. Henry Cloud says, here's some questions. How can I turn this around? How can I help? What does this person need? What could get them to a better place? Here are my questions. What biblical principle applies now or in this situation? How would grace and love change things? Who will make the first move of forgiveness? And you know that's always got to be you. Are we hearing God or hearing ourselves? What needs to end and what needs to begin? Is the mission clear? A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, there are three distinct marks of people who are crucified with Christ. 
first. They're facing only one direction. You can call that direction Jesus. You can call it the kingdom of God. But they're facing only one direction. They can never turn back. They know there's no going back to another way of living, to another set of, of moral imperatives. They can never turn back. And finally, they no longer have plans of their own. There's an abandonment of your plans and there's a, a, an entire giving of yourself to what God wants to do in you and through you. I have a paper called Reality is Expensive where I just sat down once and I wrote out 33 statements that I think are descriptive of Christian maturity. This paper is out at the Connection Center if you want a copy of it. 33 statements that delineate what I think Christian maturity is about. Let me read you a few. You are a mature Christian when you realize that the event of Christ's death was a payment too great for you to ever equal. But you give your life to God for his glory to be revealed through you by what he has put in you. Reality is expensive. You are a mature Christian when you realize that if you are going to grow, then it is your responsibility to take what you are given, experience, resources, challenges, relationships, the word of God, and work with it in the details of everyday life. You are a mature Christian when you realize that forgiveness goes way beyond theological form to practical function, meaning that even though you may not feel better or even be able to forget a wrong, you will still trust God enough to forgive. What does God want? Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God wants us to make fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what God wants us to do. And that takes a very first step. And here's what that first step is. Let me describe it. Christianity is Jesus. Christianity is becoming like Jesus. Christianity is telling others about Jesus. But you can't skip step two. Christianity is becoming like Jesus. Let me give you another one of my statements. You are a mature Christian when evangelism isn't something you do, but something you are. When mission is your gut-level response to a broken world, you will begin to see changes beginning with changes inside of you. The world changes, and you change the world as you change, as you let God change you, because he's the vine and you are the branches, and apart from him, you can't do anything. You can, you can make believe you're doing stuff. Isaiah said that. And God said, I'm just tired of that. I'm tired when you just make believe you're doing stuff or that you make believe that you really know me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I do? God wants us to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. To do that, we have to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Here's the bottom line. 
What does God want? God wants you. God wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us. He wants us to see what he wants all the time. He wants that to be a constant vision, a constant focus for us. And here's the question that comes out of what does God want? Do you want what God wants? Do you want what he wants in, in all of its fullness, in all of its day-to-day -day challenges? To be a Christian following him, trying to be a light in the world together, getting things done affecting ministry and mission in ways that are changing people's lives. It takes all of us wanting what God wants together. And so I leave you at the end of this series, Journey of Prayer. I leave you with my prayer that I gave you just a few weeks ago. And I pray that you'll ponder it. I pray that you'll think about it. I pray that you'll pray this prayer in your own life. I'm not going to let you down, God. God, I'm here. And if you need me or if you choose me to accomplish something or to stand in the gap for someone, I'm here. I know I work for you. I know I work for you. Let me know what's next. Let me know what's next. Always, always, always get to know what God wants. Build your life on it. And always, always, always stay on this journey of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, how humbling to hear these words that you have spoken through your prophet, that you have spoken through your son, and that reach out to our hearts today. Father, help us to just grow in a passion of wanting to know what you want. Help us to grow in a desire, a deep abiding desire to want to fulfill your call upon our lives individually and together. Father, you know, keep us from being sidetracked, whether it's a donut table or whether it's a, a meeting agenda or whether it's something that is, is constantly just rolling around in life, vying for our attention or just the, the, the busy demands of life. Father, keep us, keep us in that prayer of, I know I work for you. Let me know what's next. Father, guide us by your holy hands on our journey of prayer. We give your lives again today. In Jesus' name.